Well, we're continuing in our study through the book of Acts. We've been in the book of Acts for uh, a good while now, and we're still uh, we're continuing on in chapter 16. I do encourage you to have your Bibles open uh, as we go through uh, these really just a few verses uh, this morning. We're looking at a, another character in Acts chapter 16, the second lady that we've looked at. The first one that we looked at was Lydia, and then this one is identified not by name, but really by category that she is a... Uh, known as a slave girl. When we talk about a slave girl, that brings up the question, what is freedom? You know, a lot of times we, that's one of those words that we, we like to put on t-shirts or we like to put on banners or flags or those kinds of things. And we love to talk about freedom, but what is, what is freedom? You know, there's many of us in here that long for a day when, when we'll have all of our, all of our debt paid off. <laughs> we'll have all of our debt paid off. Dave Ramsey calls that financial freedom when you get your debt paid off. Debt can certainly be, it can certainly be bondage. But even if you were completely debt free, even if, you know, the, 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 the money genie came and, and took away all your debt and all of a sudden gave you enough money that you could burn that you didn't have to worry about money anymore, would that mean that you were truly free? Some of people really desire freedom in their workplace. You know, one of the things that, that has changed in our society over the last generation or so is there, there's really no such thing or no such desire for somebody to get a job right out of high school or college with a good company and stay there for 20 years or 25 years and retire from that same company. That desire is, is gone. People aren't looking to punch a clock for 25 years in the same place anymore, are they? They're looking for, they're not looking for that nine to five kind of regularity. Uh, for those of us who grew up in my generation, they aren't looking for Dilbert cubicles anymore. They aren't looking for those kinds of things anymore. They're looking for flexibility in their career. They're looking for freedom in their career. But even if you had a job where you could work anywhere, any hours, you could pick your own hours, you could pick your own paycheck. <laughs> if you find that, let me know. We got plenty of folks that are looking for that job. But even if you could find that kind of a job with complete and total autonomy and complete and total flexibility, would that mean that you were truly free? You know, there's many people in our society that take that idea of freedom even a step further. They're looking for freedom in their lifestyle choices. They want to be free to sleep with whomever they want, whenever they want, however they want, with no consequences of STDs or pregnancy or social stigma or anything like that. After all, I should have the right to choose what I want to do with my own body, right? Really? <laughs> really? Is that freedom? And then that's extended on to people wanting to choose even their own gender. So does complete autonomy over your gender, over your sexuality, over your education, over your social status, over your career, over your lifestyle, over your finances, if you had complete autonomy over all of those kinds of things, does that kind of autonomy mean that you're truly free? Of course not, does it? 
See, these aren't new things. We, we like to think about these things as just happening in our generation or in our time. No, these aren't new things. People have always desired personal autonomy. They've always desired that kind of, uh, that kind of freedom where nobody tells them what to do. It's as old as the Garden of Eden, isn't it? Matter of fact, if you remember back to the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam and Eve, He gave them one rule. Just one rule. And what do they do? They broke the one rule that they had. They said, you can eat of anything that you want. You can have complete and total autonomy over everything in the garden. Except for one. They didn't like that rule. So they rebelled. They declared their independence. They staged their own little revolution right there in the Garden of Eden. So did rebelling against God's one rule, did, did rebelling against that, did staging their own revolution, did that mean that they were free? Of course not. They weren't free. But in their desire for freedom, Adam and, Adam and Eve subjected all creation to bondage. Just like our attempt at autonomy. Many of our attempts at freedom are really just rebellion in disguise, and that ends up just shackling us in chains of bondage. This morning we're, we're looking at, at a young lady who was shackled in the chains of bondage. She, she was in physical enslavement, but not only was she in physical enslavement, she was in spiritual enslavement. But the beautiful thing is, is Jesus sets her free from that. Sets her free not only from the spiritual, but from the physical bondage as well. So here's the thing. If you're here this morning and you are shackled in some sort of chains of bondage, whether it's emotional, whether it's spiritual, even whether it's physical bondage here this morning, no matter what those kinds of chains are in your life, Jesus can set you free from that. There's hope for you. Not, not the kind of freedom that the world is looking for where you don't have any rules or you don't have any, you can throw off all of those things. Not that kind of freedom that's really just bondage in disguise, but no, you can be free indeed. You can be free in Christ. Truly free. So who was this woman that we're talking about in our passage? We, we introduced her there in verse 16, look at, at verse 16 again. It says, as we were, we, of course, that's Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke. As that group, plus whoever was with them, but definitely that group. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. So remember where we are here. We're, we're at this point in this, this journey through the book of Acts, this journey through the beginning of the second missionary journey, where Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke are in this town called Philippi. In this town called Philippi, God has led them from their home church in Antioch, their sending church in Antioch. He's led them all the way across Asia Minor and through all of that, then across the Aegean Sea, and then up into this town called Philippi. This town called Philippi, which was really the gateway to Europe at the time. This was the first place, this was the launching pad for the gospel in Europe. 
And if you know anything about Philippi during those days, it, it wasn't some sort of a backwater podunk town. It was a cosmopolitan city. It was a very strategic city because of where it was located and because of all the things that were going on there. Now, when they got to Philippi, their evangelistic efforts, their disciple-making efforts, they really got off to a slow start because there weren't very many God-fearers there. There was, as a matter of fact, there was just a, a handful of ladies who were gathered by the riverside. They didn't even have enough God-fearing men to have a synagogue in town. But there were these God-fearing ladies, this small group of ladies there at the riverside in Philippi. But despite the slowness and despite the smallness, Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke were faithful to share the gospel with that group of ladies there at the riverside. And when they shared the gospel with those ladies there at the riverside, there was a young lady by the name of Lydia who got saved. And when Lydia got saved, she went home, she told everybody in her household about Jesus, and her household got saved. They followed in obedience in baptism. Now, we don't know how long all of this, how long since they had arrived in Philippi that all this is taking, but there in verse verse 16 It says that Paul and his crew were continuing that worship there at the riverside in Philippi, or outside of Philippi. So they were continuing in the worship there. That meant that they hadn't actually started the church plant there in Philippi. They were just beginning. They were continuing to worship with that small group of people there at the riverside. But they were faithful. They kept making disciples. They kept evangelizing. But as they left Lydia's house and they headed out of town for the Riverside prayer meeting one morning, they encountered somebody. Now, it wasn't a new thing. They had been encountering this all along the way. They encountered another lady. This lady was very, very different than Lydia. You remember in our discussion about Lydia, you remember Lydia was a wealthy woman. She was an independent woman. She was a successful businesswoman. Even though Lydia had been through some pretty difficult circumstances, she refused to play the victim in all of that. Lydia never seemed like she wanted to be or allowed herself to be in any kind of bondage. But this lady was completely the opposite. Verse 16 says that she was a slave girl. Now, I know when we see that, and many times when I've read this, I get a mental image of what a slave girl would look like. You know, we, we picture somebody maybe in rags or in chains that's dragging a ball and chain through the town of Philippi. You need to get that image out of your mind because that's, that's not what was going on here. By all outward appearances, when people on the street saw this young lady, they would have thought that this girl was on top of the world. Verse 16 also says that she had a spirit of divination. The the original Greek behind that is just fascinating. And and I'm tempted to go on and on and on about that, but I'm not going to. I'll just give you the the highlight about that. The spirit of divination, the, the literal translation says that she had a Pythian spirit or a Python spirit. That creeps me out just thinking about a snake spirit. But this is the this is how she was described. Now we don't have to dive too deep into Greek mythology to understand what we're talking about here, but you can rest assured that Luke's original readers here in the book of Acts would have known what was going on. So I think we need to know a little bit about what this Pythian spirit is. 
According to Greek mythology, there was a huge python that was said to have gathered, or said to, that was said to have guarded the oracle at Delphi. The oracle at Delphi was a place where people would go to get, basically get their fortune told. But there was this python guardian. Now, this is mythology, right? Follow me. Well, according to mythology, uh, the Greek god Apollo didn't want that guardian there. He wanted the oracle to be free to people, so he killed that python guardian. When he killed the python guardian, the spirit of that python was said to have possessed the priestesses of the oracle at Delphi so that now they, all of a sudden, they were able to predict the future and prophesy for people. Possessed these young ladies with the ability to tell people's future to be fortune tellers. That's what it meant to have a Pythian spirit or a Python spirit. She was a fortune teller. Now, of course, we know that this doesn't really have anything to do with Greek legends or Greek mythology. This lady was genuinely possessed by a demon because that's what the text says, right? Now, we'll talk about that a little bit more in a little bit about what that all entails possessed by a demon. But for now, let's just focus on this slave girl a little bit more. Slave girl was how Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke would have seen her. They saw through this this shiny facade and saw that she was really in bondage. But the people of Philippi would have seen her completely differently. They would have looked at her and seen this magnificent princess. They would have seen her as somebody to admire or somebody even to seek out or somebody even to worship. She would have been stunningly beautiful. She would have had all the material wealth that you can imagine. She would have been as popular as a movie star if a movie star could accurately predict the future. (laughs) You think about that. Plus, she was surrounded by a bunch of yoked up handsome guys. (laughs) Can you imagine what a sight that was? Can you imagine this entourage walking the streets of Philippi? Can you imagine the crowd that they would have attracted, this stunningly beautiful young lady dressed in the finest, most sensually provocative clothing, surrounded by an attractive male entourage? Now, whether people bought into her prophecies or not, they would have definitely flocked to to see the show. My point is, no one in Philippi would have seen this girl as being in bondage. They would have seen her as someone to be elevated. They would have envied her freedom. They would have envied her freedom of beauty. They would have envied her freedom of popularity. They would have envied her freedom of wealth. They would have envied her freedom of sensuality. They would have envied her freedom of seeming power that she had. But Paul and his crew, they knew the truth, didn't they? They could see beyond that that shiny facade. They could see the truth. Beauty, wealth, security, popularity. See, none of those things, so many of those things that we seek after, so many of those things that we chase after, that we long for, that we desire, none of those things bring freedom. In and of themselves, those things can only bring bondage. Listen to me. If you're, if you're trying to find freedom through finances, 
If you're trying to find freedom through relationships, if you're trying to find freedom through your career or through your education, if you're trying to find freedom through your looks or through your fitness or through your clothes or through your toys or through your stuff, you will never, ever find freedom in those things. You only find bondage. The more and more we seek to find freedom in things other than Christ, the more and more bondage we find ourselves in. We become more and more entrapped. No matter how much money or popularity or success or leisure or stuff that you have. And don't be fooled because sometimes the things that keep you in the deepest bondage, the things that are most attractive and keep you in deepest bondage can seem like they're speaking the truth to you. Sometimes the worst things for you can seem like they're doing good. Look at verse 17. Verse 17, she, this slave girl, this shiny, glamorous Slave girl followed Paul and us crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Boy, sounded good, didn't it? See, just because you're in bondage doesn't mean that you're always wrong about everything. She was not wrong in her assessment of who Paul and the others were. She was absolutely accurate. I mean, look at her. She was a priestess of false gods. She was demon-possessed. She was in physical and spiritual bondage, and she still spoke the truth. Think about it. The most popular celebrity in town was publicly endorsing Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke. How How many of us would love to have some sort of an endorsement like that? She was getting, they were getting this publicly public endorsement. They could have lined up with her in some sort of celebrity Photoshop, photo shoot, without Photoshop. (laughs) And what an endorsement. Put that on their Instagram feed, right? People would have loved it. Think of the boost that that would have given their ministry. Think of the financial boost that that could have given the, the, the burgeoning church plant there at Philippi. Think of how that public endorsement could have opened doors, opened doors throughout the city for them. But they didn't buy into it, did they? It's not the point. The endorsement, the false endorsement is not the point. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 16 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness, or what accord has Christ with Belial, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? Now, that doesn't mean that we're not supposed to form relationships with lost people. We're supposed to be forming relationships continually in our community and with our neighbors and and all of that. We're supposed to be continually forming relationships, but we're supposed to be doing it in order to open the door for the gospel so that we can make disciples. We're not supposed to be doing it so that they, in their lostness, can endorse us and we can look popular. See, our message is not validated by who endorses us. Our message is validated solely by the Word of God. Amen? That is where our message comes from. That is our sole endorsement. 
And we promote that message in the power of the Holy Spirit alone, not by the power of celebrity or fame or popularity or any of those kinds of things. Just because an endorsement is true doesn't make it right. The slave girl's endorsement was true. It was 100% true. It was pragmatically beneficial. But Paul refused it anyway, didn't he? See, Jesus doesn't need the endorsement of demons to get his message across. All Jesus needs is regular believers like you and me to tell what he's done for us. Amen? That's all he needs. That's what frees people from bondage. It's the simple power of the gospel that saves people, not the marketing of star power. Now look at how Paul reacted to all this attention that they were getting from the superstar. And this gives us a little glimpse into Paul's personality, which I I just love it. Look at verse 18. Verse 18. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, (laughs) turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Not only did Paul refuse to accept this girl's endorsement, he was just pretty ticked off by her. He was annoyed, highly annoyed at her. Well, not really at her. It it indicates, the text indicates that he wasn't annoyed at her because he knew what was going on behind the scenes, right? He knew that she was in bondage. Even though this girl seemed, seemed absolutely on top of the world, Paul knew that she was enslaved, that she was in bondage. He knew that she was in physical bondage. He knew that she was in spiritual bondage. Could he and his crew physically remove her from her physical bondage? They probably could have. But that wasn't the point, was it? Because removing her from that physical bondage, that would have only helped her for a little while. We need to remember that with the different social projects and social things. We need to remember that removing somebody from physical bondage only removes them temporarily. They could have very easily removed her from the physical bondage that she was in. But that wasn't the root problem. You can be released from your economic bondage and still be in change. You can be released from your emotional bondage and still be in change. You can be released from your chemical bondage and still be in change. You can be released from the chains of a toxic relationship and still be in change. See, real freedom only comes when we're released from the spiritual bondage. So that's what Paul worked on first, isn't it? Now, I don't think that we can pass this by without talking a little bit about demon possession. I don't want to get too far off into that. But here's what you need to understand. Um, the devil is real. Okay? Let's just get that, get that out there first. The devil is real. But the devil is a created being. And he is subject to the sovereignty of an all-powerful God. He is a created being. He is a finite being. God is sovereign. God is all-powerful. Satan is not. Amen? Amen. Now, demons are real too. But demons are fallen angels who are under the command of Satan. So they're even farther down the food chain. The objective of Satan and his demons is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what Scripture tells us. 
Satan's desire in everything that he does, Satan's desire is to take from the glory of God, from the glory that God richly deserves, from the attention, from the worship that God richly deserves, and deflect that. If he can point it to himself, that's fine. If he can point it to creation, if he can point it to another person, if he can point wherever he can point that glory, wherever he can point that worship, he's fine with that just as long as it doesn't go to the only one who deserves it. Just as long as it doesn't go to God. Now, Satan is powerful, but his only, his primary tool is that he's a liar. His primary tool is deceit. Many times he even uses true words to deceive, just like he did with this girl. Can he speak truth in pursuit of a lie? Of course he can. But it's all about the lie. Now, as far as demon possession goes, are you ready for this deep theological uh, treatise on demon possession? I don't understand it and neither do you. And the people who write all the books about it and put the videos out and all of those kinds of things, they don't understand it any more than you do or any more than I do. Because it's not clearly given to us in Scripture. And if it's not clearly given to us in Scripture, then it's not something that we need to be focusing on. Amen? It's not something that we need to distract ourselves with. Now, it's real. I think many of the evil things that we chalk up today as some sort of a psychological problem or a drug problem or a poverty problem or a societal problem, I think many of those things are rooted in demon possession. This week, the news reported that that boy who shot up the school at Lakeland, Florida, reported that he was hearing voices that were telling him to do that. Now, whether the boy heard voices or not, I, I don't know. But that sure does seem like a case that can't be explained by much of anything else than demon possession. Now, whether that happened in that case or not, I am convinced that demon possession in our day is just as real as it was in the Bible. And it's not like the horror movies portray it. Once again, we get this picture in our mind of heads spinning and, you know, green soup going out everywhere. No, that's not, it's not like the horror movies portray it. It's not something that you can fix with a priest and a crucifix and so-called holy water. No, that's, that's ritual. Symbols are not the solution. Jesus is the solution. He's the only solution. The greatest power of Satan and his demons is deceit. But how has Jesus identified himself in Scripture? He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Him. So the way to conquer deceit is with the truth. Not just a concept of truth, but with the person who is truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The simple message of the gospel that you and I have been given is all that we need. That's it. It's sufficient. For all, And because it's sufficient for all, then you don't need to sit back and be afraid of the devil. We don't need to see the devil and his demons behind every tree and give them uh, and, and attribute to them 
stuff that they're not sovereign over anyway. We don't need to worship them in that way by giving them credit that they don't deserve. You don't need to fear the devil. You don't need to fear demons. We don't even need to acknowledge them. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. And that beautiful section of who Jesus is says, Therefore God has highly exalted Him, has highly exalted Christ, and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That says every knee, every tongue. So when Jesus saves us, we don't have to be afraid of any of that. Amen? So don't get caught up in all of that stuff and worrying about this and that and the other. No, we have the tools that we need. We have Jesus inside us and we have His Word. We have His Gospel to proclaim. That's all we need. That's all we need. As a believer, if you have any doubt as to the absolute defeat of Satan and his demons in your life, you need to listen to Romans chapter 8, verses 37 through 39. Paul says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. That covers everything, doesn't it? We'll be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen to me. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are truly free. Truly and eternally free. Money can't give you freedom. Religion can't give you freedom. Education can't give you freedom. Retirement can't give you freedom. Relationships can't give you freedom. Independence can't give you freedom. Success can't give you freedom. The only one who can give you freedom is Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now listen to this. So then you are no longer a slave, but a son. You're no longer in bondage. But you're a child of God. And if a son, then an heir through God. Yeah, the lady in this passage, she was, she was in physical bondage. She was owned and manipulated by that, that group of men who surrounded her. So she was in physical enslavement. But on top of that, she was in emotional bondage to the crowds that only valued her for what she could do for them. She wasn't her own. She, she was property. But before she could be released from her physical bondage, before she could be released from her emotional bondage, she had to be released from her spiritual bondage. I don't know what kind of bondage you're in here this morning. But whatever it is, 
I can tell you on the authority of the Word of God, when Jesus saves you, you're no longer a slave, but a son. You don't have to be a slave to whatever physical or whatever emotional chains that are binding you because you're free. But you can only truly be free if you've been rescued from spiritual enslavement. Listen to me. Jesus was beaten like a slave so that you could be free. Jesus was bound so that you could be loosed. Jesus died to give you life. He rose again to give you victory. In his name, you can be free. Just like this lady when it says, and it came out that very hour. In Jesus, you can be free this very hour. All you have to do is call on him. That's all it takes. All you have to do is confess Jesus as Lord and Master and Savior of his life. You see, with His blood, Jesus has already paid the price to buy you back from everything that has enslaved you. He's already paid that price. All you have to do is receive it. All you have to do is accept His payment. So the only question for you is, will you accept Him this very hour? Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again that for freedom, Christ has set us free. Father, it's so easy to look at all the things that that physically enslave us. It's so easy to look at all the things that emotionally enslave us. And Father, when we look at the things that physically enslave us, it's so easy to immediately turn to the things that will provide short-term relief in removing some of that difficulty. And with the things that emotionally enslave us, it's so easy to uh, look for counseling or medication or those kinds of things which will just provide temporary relief from the bondage of emotional enslavement. But, Father, we know that the root cause is spiritual bondage. So, Father, we ask that anyone in here, I ask that anyone in here who is experiencing that kind of emotional or physical bondage, Father, that they would seek Christ first. And Father, as they seek Christ, Father, as you loose the chains of their spiritual bondage, Lord, I ask that you would give them direction and show them the tools and the paths that they need to take so that their emotional and so that their physical bondage would be eased. But Father, we're not looking for temporary freedom. I'm not asking for temporary freedom for folks. I am asking for freedom indeed. So, Lord, if there's one here this morning who's not trusted Jesus as Lord and Master and Savior, if there's one who has not been released from their spiritual bondage, 
God, would you redeem them this morning? Father, would your spirit draw them? And Father, as your spirit draws them, as your spirit shows them their need for a Savior, Father, I ask that they would repent and believe. Father, whatever the needs in this place are, we know that your spirit is sufficient to provide exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. So, Lord, we're trusting you in this time to do the work that only you can do. In Jesus' precious name, amen.